This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 42, Wendigo. Folklore of many First Nations speak of a beast that stalks the woods during the harshest and coldest months of the year cursed by an insatiable hunger for human flesh. One whose gluttonous nature led to its need to feed and its desire to prey on those closest to it. Encounters with this monstrosity did not fade with the First Nations traditions through the generations. In fact, encounters with this entity persist to this day. This is one such story. When I was younger, my father would take my brother Carter and I out for a yearly camping trip. We would hunt and go fishing throughout the day and spend time at our camp at night telling scary stories and eating s'mores by the fire. We looked forward to the trip every year. We loved being able to bond with our father and learn from him. He taught us so much during those camping trips. We stopped going on those trips when my father got sick. He suffered for a long time and eventually passed away when I was in my early 20s. My brother was only 17 at the time. As much as it affected me, I think he took it harder. I had moved a few hours away because I couldn't take seeing my father like that. I left my brother to endure it all. I know he resented me for it. I think, to this day, he still resents me. Regardless, that isn't what this is about. I took some time off of work and decided to make the trip down to visit my mother and brother, whom still lived with her. He was 19 by this time. We discussed everything that had happened and somewhat made amends. We stayed up late that night discussing our old camping trips and the fun that we would have. Jokingly, I suggested that we should go camping. I didn't expect him to agree, but he seemed almost excited by the idea. We decided this was the best way we could honor our father. We spent the next day packing up supplies and planning out the trip. When we were younger, we never really took much with us and we wanted to treat this trip similarly. We chose the essentials. A tent, sleeping bags, spare clothes, a tarp, and our fishing poles. Along with some bait we picked up from a local bait and tackle shop. 
The next day, we packed up and set out for the Porcupine Mountains at roughly 5 a.m. We made the two-hour drive there, stopping to get breakfast about halfway. Every trip we used to take would start with hiking the Escarpment Trail. We parked at the Lake of the Clouds parking lot and unloaded our gear and supplies. We didn't plan to return to the car for at least a couple of days. Carter was excited. I think it definitely had done him some good to get him out of the house and take his mind off of everything. Our father loved stopping at the Lake of the Clouds overlooks. He would say, If I could have this view all the time, I'd die a happy man. I remember starting to tear up thinking about that as we looked off onto the lake and stared over the vast area of treetops. It really was beautiful. Seeing that as an adult, I understood why my father would always make that statement. We stood there for some time, just taking it all in. There was something about the air that smelled better and tasted far superior there than back home. It was surreal being back there. I thought we would never return, but I was glad that we had. After spending nearly an hour at the Overlook, we decided to make our way down the escarpment. It was always one of my favorite parts of the trip. It was roughly four miles down and four miles back. Due to our last-minute decision to go on that trip, there was limited backcountry camping areas available. Ours was near Mirror Lake, which would take us the better part of a day to get to. As we were making our way through the escarpment trail, we would stop periodically to reminisce about when we were younger. That hike was tough as a kid. Even as adults at that point, we were surprised by how much we loved it at the time. After a couple of hours of hiking, we finally reached the North Mirror Lake Trail. It was extremely rugged and not the easiest trail to hike as you had to climb so much. It was at this point I really started to appreciate everything our father had taught us, and the time we had spent hiking and learning the area. If we had not, there would have been no way we could have made that hike. It took us roughly around eight hours of hiking and taking breaks to finally reach our backcountry campsite. We quickly set up camp due to it being the evening, and we still wanted to get in a bit of fishing before dinner. We made sure to secure our bags and tie them off on one of the tree branches to keep them off the ground. Bears were common in the area, and we didn't want to risk any of them getting into our supplies. We then went fishing for about two hours and returned just as it was getting dark. We made a fire and cooked some of the fish that we had caught. We laughed and talked about our father and our childhood. We discussed how we had both been since his passing and just really reconnected. It felt great spending time with my brother. I often felt like a coward for not sticking around with him and my mother to take care of our father. But that's just how it was. After having a few beers, we decided to call it a night. We were both exhausted from the day and could barely stay awake any longer. We shared a tent, my brother on one side and I on the other. I remember falling asleep almost instantly. I was awakened by my brother grabbing my arm tightly. James, wake up. There's something out there. 
I sat up, still half asleep. What are you talking about? I replied. I heard someone call my name. At that point, I became more alert. We both sat there in the tent, surrounded by the darkness of the forest, listening for whatever it was Carter had heard. James! Came from a distant voice that seemed to echo through the trees. Every single strand of hair on my body stood erect. Dad? That isn't Dad, Carter. Dad is dead. I quickly replied. Carter! James! The voice continued. It seemed to become louder, suggesting whatever it was had came closer to us. The closer and louder it got, the more the voice no longer sounded like our father but something altogether evil. James, Carter, come out here, called the voice once more. This time, it was right outside of our tent. Carter was nearly sobbing by that time, attempting to muffle his sobs under his sleeping bag. We sat there for what seemed a lifetime. There were no more voices, I told Carter to go back to sleep and I would keep watch. I don't remember sleeping anymore that night. I had never experienced anything as horrifying as that. Some people say that your mind can play tricks on you when you're alone with your thoughts, especially when you're at your most vulnerable. I wondered if that's what we had experienced. Somehow we shared in that experience. Perhaps it was because we were brothers. I didn't know what to think about it. When Carter awoke, neither of us really brought it up. I think it was easier to believe it hadn't really happened that way. We cooked some eggs we had brought along in our cooler and talked about our plans for the day. We decided we would hike the South Mirror Lake Trail and do some more fishing. We got ready and headed for the trail. While we walked the trail, we really didn't talk a whole lot. It was different than the previous day. I could tell that Carter was acting differently. I looked over at him. Are you okay? I asked. He nodded and replied. Yeah, I'm just still exhausted from yesterday. We then carried on with our hike. Luckily, the South Mirror Lake Trail is a mere three miles and didn't take that long. We made it back to camp around 1 p.m. and grabbed our fishing gear. We spent a few hours fishing and making small talk. We had only caught a handful of fish, but it was enough for dinner. We left the lake and made our way back to camp. When we got back, I worked on cleaning the fish while Carter sat next to the fire, reading something on his phone. Beer? I asked as I tossed him one. I finally brought up the previous night. So, last night. I know. I think I was just dreaming about Dad, and I somehow thought I heard him. I'm sorry I woke you up. I know it was nothing. I heard it too, though. I think you wanted to hear it because I was so worked up. Clearly it wasn't real. Let's just drop it and enjoy the night. And then change the subject. So, you talking to a girl over there? 
pointing at his phone. He laughed and proceeded to tell me about a girl he had been talking to. I was happy to hear him getting along so well and finding a distraction. It was good for his health and well-being. We spent the next couple of hours drinking and laughing again. I really did believe whatever we had heard the previous night was all in our heads. We were finally able to enjoy ourselves again. Before we knew it, it had gotten late. It was nearly midnight when we decided to call it a night. We cleaned up the site and retired to our tent. I was abruptly awoken by a loud crunch coming from outside our tent. I looked over and Carter was still asleep. I remember checking my watch and it was nearly 4am. What the hell was that? I thought to myself. I didn't tell Carter, but I had brought my 9mm with me. For protection. I never intended to use it. But I decided to get it out of my backpack. I laid there for a few minutes, gun in hand, watching the tent all around me. I didn't want to wake my brother. I didn't want to worry him again. I heard another crack outside. I wondered if it was a bear. I knew we had cleaned up our campsite before we had went to bed. All of a sudden there was a rustle at the entrance of the tent. The zipper started to shake. Carter shot up, fully awake. What is that? Be quiet. I whispered back. The rustling stopped and the area was completely silent and still for a moment. I kept my gun pointed towards the entrance. You have a gun? exclaimed Carter in a much louder whisper. I inched closer and reached for the zipper and slowly opened it. I opened it just enough to look outside. The foul scent of death and decay consumed the air, but there wasn't anything there. However, in the distance, there was what appeared to be a pale, tall figure. I watched it for several minutes, but it never moved. I assumed it was maybe a tree. Slightly human-shaped. Would have had to have been a tall, very thin human. I decided to close up the tent and lay back down. As I was zipping it back up, the tall, pale figure moved. Horrified by this, I quickly finished zipping up the zipper and got as close to Carter as I could. Do not talk. Do not move. I could tell he was scared. He was shaking. We both sat there completely still. All of a sudden, the sound of leaves crunching could be heard. Faster and louder each time, it sounded like something was running full force towards us. The tent started to shake and something started to tear from the top of the tent. We tried to be quiet and remain still till something truly horrifying happened. What appeared to be a very pale, tall, human-like figure leaned up and reached inside the tent from the tattered shreds at the top. Its fingers were claw-like. It had no hair anywhere. Its face was nothing like I'd ever seen before. Its eyes were merely inverted sockets, 
full of darkness, and then opened its mouth, bearing its sharp, razor-like teeth. It was nearly wide enough to eat a human skull in one bite. Without thinking, I aimed my gun and shot at the creature. I let out a deafening shriek and fled the area. We both sat there, trying all we could to catch our breath. The only thing I could think was, whatever was out there was probably what we had experienced the night before. Neither one of us slept after that. We feared it would return. I remained gun in hand till the first sign of daylight. As soon as there was enough light to see, we quickly packed up and left. We must have made that hike in half the time it took us the first day. We quickly threw our gear in the car and left. Neither one of us ever said a word the entire way home. It wasn't until we reached the house that both of us brought up what had happened. We never went back. Neither of us told anyone about what happened during that trip. Till now. I spent a lot of time researching similar cases to what we experienced. Many others have had similar encounters. And they have all been described by that of a Wendigo. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, an ad break. Greetings, starseeds. It is I, the all-knowing alien, channeling this message for you. Our oracle deck lands. Kickstarter. 5-1-2022. Join us today at Celestial Alien Oracle Instagram. And now, the debrief. All right, man. This one, uh, I'll be honest, this subject freaks me out. This is the Voldemort of all the cases we've done so far. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. Like, okay, I'll explain right up top, because what freaks me out about this is, like, it's not that it's necessarily real. It's that I have, like, a a pretty strong belief in the concept of tulpas. Right, of course. And I feel like this thing is just primed to be a tulpa. Like, I feel like if you spent enough time, enough time, like, focused on it, you could really mess yourself up. You know, I I can, I can understand where you're coming from that, you know, with that. Um, because because and as we as we dive deeper into you know the debrief and kind of discuss this a lot of it is based off of thought you know it's based off of the idea of it yeah 
um, that can bring a lot of things to light. Um, yeah. As we'll dive into things like Wendigo psychosis and stuff like that. For sure. Um, that's when that's you know that's when it's really the 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 thought of it and the idea of it really kind of come into play. Yeah. How it can like infect a person. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So yeah, this this subject freaks me out a bit. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna try to like be cool and just we'll we'll talk about it. Okay. But yeah. So um yeah what are, what are we talking about? <laughs> no. <laughs> so your story. All right. Um. I really like the story. It's um. It reminds me of like because of course I've read like tons of accounts. Right. Right. Of like witness witness encounters and all that and it like it reminds me a lot of that um told in the first person i mean it's set up pretty much like a witness statement yeah you know that was that was kind of the angle i was i was shooting for um you know obviously making it as realistic as possible without you know overdoing it and breaking into some of like not as realistic areas that we could we could have definitely went more heavily with um you know because a lot of and just like you is a lot of like the accounts and things like that that i read about were very similar like in that regard like it was more so like we saw this thing and this is what it looked like the end um you know and so of course there's a lot of things that i try to put into it that are often you know found and said to be what this thing this wendigo um you know can can do or things how it can how it can affect people's minds and things like that right so i tried to Pieces go more the folklore psychological right yeah yeah so i say um we'll kind of start from start from the top kind of work our way down um you know more so focusing on what is this what does it look like where does it come from um and what you know kind of what what it's all about essentially i guess kind of yeah you know meshed into one yeah so start with the origin maybe um i'll start i'll start first of all with just the description because in the story i give kind of a vague description um you know intentionally because there's multiple multiple different uh like native depictions basically of it um so some some you know say that it's it's very tall um some say it's over 15 feet tall some uh say it's a giant um often pale hairless some uh some depictions of it are it's covered in hair um you know, it's often associated with a foul odor. Again, something like the scent of like death and decay. It has in in all depictions. It has sharp, pointed claws, uh, very sharp teeth, uh, with basically like a mangled mouth. Um, Native Americans uh, say, say that it have it has basically like yellow, pointed teeth, and we'll we'll get more into like the different uh, specific. Um, culture, the way that the cultures kind of see, see this thing. Um, but, and most all, uh, most all depictions, it does have a frozen heart. 
Some, it's made purely of ice. Yeah. And always an, in- an insatiable hunger for flesh. Um, you know, some, some descriptions are it's very slow, moves very, you know, very sluggishly, like, zombie-like, leaving bloody footprints. Uh, some depictions are it's very fast, very nimble, uh, able to, you know, able to cover ground very quickly and very familiar with its surroundings. Um, extremely, you know, familiar of its territory. And additionally, has the ability to mimic human, human voices. And that was another thing yep. I tried to touch on in the story. Yeah. So, like, I knew there was a quote about the description that I loved that I had read before, so I spent some time this afternoon and dug it up. Okay. So, it's from the Chippewa author Basil H. Johnston. He wrote a book called The Manitou, the spiritual world of the, the Ojibwe. Mm-hmm. And in the book, he, which I used to own, I used to have this book and I can't find it anywhere. So I had to look it up online. The quote is The Wendigo <laughs> had desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out over its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into the sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from the separations of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. End quote. Yes. It's actually really funny as I had that, I had that quote lined up as well. Yeah? Nice. Yeah. Uh, no, it's very solid for sure. Yeah, um, I always loved it. And that, I mean, that's a very, very good description of it. You know, regardless of, um, you know, what, specifically which culture and things like that. I mean, they're, they're all very similar, but I think that's probably one of the best descriptions for sure. And yeah, really that kinda, just like emaciated, gaunt. Right. I mean, that's like its appearance reflecting what's scariest about it. Right. It's right? skin basically pushed over its bones. Like, you know, so you know that it's very, I mean, very thin, dead, deathly, you know, death, almost like deathly ill, but yeah, uh, very zombie-like, which is cool. Um, yeah. By the way, I, I love the version of this that's like 15 feet tall because the idea, the concept behind it is that like, it grows with every person that it eats. Right. Yep. And like, so as you, or as it, you know, it kept getting taller because it could never get wider, right? Like it yeah. can't get fat and healthy by eating. It has to stay emaciated and hungry. So it keeps getting taller as it consumes. Like, that's such a cool yeah, concept. I, I dig that too. Um, you know, and that's and that's the other part that's different from all the other different yeah. uh, you know depictions and and kind of cultural beliefs of it. Yeah, that's a very specific like a very specific tribe had that right in its lore. Yeah. So yeah, but that's I I super dig that too because and you know and and all the others it's basically if it doesn't have enough to eat it starves to death. Yeah. Um and in this it just continues to consume and grows you know taller and taller and right. 
Yeah, and one could suppose that if it were starved, if it never found anything to eat, it would, it would just, just keep getting smaller. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you could come across like a very hungry, like six inch <laughs> Wendigo running about the forest. Yeah. <laughs> little six inch little bugger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I can't get that thought out of my head. So uh, often associated, of course, with winter the north uh coldness famine starvation um said to reside mostly in uh kind of minnesota's north woods forests in the great lakes region uh central regions of canada um specifically northern ontario near the cave of the wendigo and then around kenora uh, which kenora is often considered to be the wendigo capital of the world it's where a lot of the modern-day sightings do take place. Um, and, of course, they still take place around here, you know? Um, you know, especially, especially like, northern, kind of Midwest area. Again, yeah. you know, uh, right. So, and this particular story took place in Michigan. Yeah. Um, right around the Great Lakes and the Porcupine Mountains. Yeah. I know, like, I, I I always see a lot from, like, the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Right. Yep. Yeah. The colder it gets, it seems, the more Wendigo. Yeah, exactly. So. Now, it's not restricted to the winter, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, they can be they can be found, you know, all, like, basically all seasons, but it's most most commonly in colder, colder areas, like harsher climates and things like that. Right, because it's associated with the horrible things people would do during winter when starvation would set in. Yeah. So essentially getting more into what it is, um, it may appear as a monster with some human characteristics or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them monstrous. Historically associated with cannibalism, murder, insatiable greed, and the cultural taboos against such behaviors. Some say it was also a relative to Bigfoot. And others think it was more closely related to a werewolf. So yeah. I, you know, I guess what what do you think about that? Like, let's say it's a distant cousin of Bigfoot. Do you think it's possible? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say flat out. Okay. I don't. I I honestly don't think that this thing has anything to do with with like any other. Yeah. Any other. Yeah, cultural. I, honestly, creations. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I was. I was. I was just curious. I mean, that was what I was kind of looking forward to asking, just to see your, you know, yeah. see what you thought about <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, I'd have to agree. I don't think. I don't think it's related to any you know, anything else really, because of its origin, because of what it is. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's not. This is uh, right. <laughs> this is one of those things that I. It really bothers me when they get sort of lumped in with the term cryptid. Right, yeah. Like, I get that cryptid has become like a catch-all for weird yeah, stuff. of course. Basically. Like, weird beings. People just like to call them all cryptids now. But, like... I mean... This is... This is not an unclassified species. Right. I'm, I'm almost 100% certain of that. Like... I did have an interesting thought about, because, you know, you mentioned there are kind of two separate versions of this, one where it's like a humanoid creature and, and one, one where it's like spirit an evil right. spirit, right? Yeah. Um, 
I feel like the the version of this that's like an evil spirit that's like basically it possesses the, the person, right? And like mm. curses them with this like hunger for human flesh yeah. or whatever. A big part of that is like they they used that to discourage people from being like greedy or gluttonous or selfish, right? Yeah. Cuz it the in the legend it you were vulnerable to being possessed by a Wendigo if you had those characteristics, right? right? So, to me, I think this was probably used as a way of, like, rationalizing priority killing, which is a thing that mm-hmm. happened a lot. It was, like, it was yeah. just a fact of life then, that sometimes you had to kill off certain members of the tribe in the winter for the rest to survive, right? Right, and then, it's, so, of course, like, the sick and... You know, yeah, like ones that it was going to be too hard to take care of, especially during those times. Right. Yeah. Or if you were an asshole who took more food than your share, like, yeah, boom. True. You're taken over by the Wendigo. <laughs> yeah. See, and like, that's a solid excuse to get rid of greedy, gluttonous people when food exactly. is short. And that's what, that's what a lot of this. And as we dive deeper, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to kind of get into this whole, like, what if the Wendigo is not really an actual thing, but it's sure. it's a reason for reason for things. You know, it's yeah, it's what was used as almost like a deterrence, you know, away from these things, right? So, um, there are several names that it's known by, of course. Wendigo being the most popular, the wit the Wittigo, the Witiko, and the Witigo. Um, each all loosely translate to the evil spirit that devours mankind. Yeah. Not scary at all. <laughs> right. Um, of course, oh, Jesus. origin-based, um, we have like uh, the Algonquian, like the, uh, the Ojibwe, the Eastern Cree, the Salto, the West, West Main Swampy Cree, the Nascope, and the Inu peoples. Um, all different, ha- basically kind of share in these different, these different beliefs, and often have different ideas of what it is. Yeah. Basically all the tribes that spoke the like Algonquin family languages. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So getting into a little bit more specific kind of legend based, like the Algonquin uh, legend states that it's a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. Um, you know, and that was, that was kind of just the way it was described within their legend or within the legend. The Ojibwe specific legend was, it was a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were specifically the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead. And then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. <laughs> yeah, this is also cheery. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Dude, I knew this episode was going to be heavy, but, like, it's very heavy. It, it is. Like, it is. You know, I mean, yeah. and this is this is something that's been around for hundreds of years, really. Yeah. Um so, kind of furthering, furthering the legend here, right? So, according to legend, Wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. 
This happened a lot in the past. Uh, when Indians and settlers found themselves stranded in bitter snows in the ice of the North Woods, some felt compelled to cannibalize the dead to survive. Other versions of legend cite that humans who displayed extreme greed, gluttony, and excess, uh, and excess might also be possessed by a Wendigo, just like we've, you know, we've, like we've talked about. Yeah. Um, in Native American versions, the creature spoke of a, gi- a gigantic spirit over 15 feet tall, had once been human, but had been transformed into a creature by magic. Though all the descriptions of the creature vary, the Wendigo is said to have glowing eyes, long yellowed fangs, terrible claws, and overly long tongues. So there's a couple depictions where it has just apparently just this extremely long tongue. Right, this um, big ass 90s venom tongue. Right, that's exactly what I imagined, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes described as having yellowish skin and sometimes they're covered in hair. Uh, which is kind of like what we talked about a little bit ago. So they're often yeah. said to have several skills and powers, including stealth. They're great hunters, experts in their territory, just like as we kind of discussed a little bit ago. And they can control the weather. I thought that was pretty cool. I dig that. I dig that yeah. one a lot. There's a whole thing about like the older they are, the longer they're around, the more power they gain. The right? older and Wendigo. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the older they get, they they gain like powers of like um like controlling the weather and like making it dark before it's actually dark and yeah. like um taking over the minds of of other creatures in the forest like making bears attack huh. you and shit okay i yeah. see i hadn't i hadn't read that uh, as far as like yeah. you know being i knew like obviously they can do a lot of a lot of kind of more mind control like uh you know like more more stuff like that especially being able to mimic, mimic voices and you know things like that yeah. that can really just kind of mess with your head right um, yeah they have that whole siren song thing going on right where yeah. they'll like lure people out into the dark yeah. forest and they're never seen again um and of course and and also the native american versions they're gluttonous and emaciated from starvation right um and of course you know just just as as all depictions, they're said to be cursed to wander the land, seeking to fulfill their uh, voracious appetite for human flesh. Um, basically, moved from person to person, never able to satisfy satisfy its hunger. And then again, yeah. just as we talked about before, if it runs out of food, eventually starves to death. Yeah. So there's you know, um pretty kind of spot on with with each. I mean, they're very they're all very similar in that regard. Yeah, definitely. There's one um, way, one of the, I think it's a Cree legend. I could be wrong on that. So listeners, if you're more familiar than I am, correct me for sure. But one of the legends, their version of it, the way it kills people is it like takes them by the hand and it forces them to run alongside them until the person gets exhausted and then they like pick them up and eat them without ever breaking stride. Yeah, so if they're right? not basically it's because if they're not fat enough, if there's not enough meat on them, that's that's mm-hmm. why they'll they'll basically make them be with them all the time. They'll watch over them until they get fat enough to they, that they can consume them. Right. And there's there are all these stories of like finding two sets of footprints when someone goes missing and then all of a sudden there's only one set. Right. Like, yeah, that's yeah. super creepy. <laughs> it's, it really is though. Uh, yeah. It just, uh, 
Just imagine, like, you you come up on this Wendigo and he's like, sorry, boy. Not today. You're going to come with me. You're like, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get eaten. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Eventually. He's like, no, I just want to be friends. I just want to be friends. I just want to. I thought we could hold hands and you about, know, go for a nice job together. You? I'll help you yeah. find somebody. Look, over there. He, he's, he's bigger than me. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> if I, I would, I would just refuse to eat. I'd just be like, man, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just never hungry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I love that idea, though, of finding the the two sets of footprints yeah. that turn into one. Like that's super creepy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, because then you know, he finally, he finally got to the point he needed to be, and Wendigo went and ate him up. Yeah. You gonna die today, boy. <laughs> okay. There's a part of the legend that I always used to love. So I I looked it up. I wanna read it to you, okay? Okay. Okay, so this is how to kill a Wendigo. Okay? And it's ridiculous. And this is like the traditional method of destruction accepted by folklorists. Okay. So, like, like you mentioned, it has a heart made of ice, right? Right. So that sounds fairly easy, right? Like, how strong could a uh, heart made of ice be? Right. right. Yeah. Easy. Wrong. Listen to this shit. Okay. Step one. Damage the ice heart with a silver blade or bullet. Okay. Okay, sounds about right. That only that only weakens it. Doesn't kill it. <laughs> of course. Okay. Step two, remove the ice heart from the body. Well, yeah, you have to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Step three, shatter the ice heart with a silver bar or hammer. So you can't just okay. take it off on like a big old rock and just... No, you gotta... No. All right. You gotta break it with silver. Or hammer, though. So, But it has yeah. to be a silver hammer. No. Yes. Okay. All yes. Right. Okay. Step four, place every shard of the heart inside a silver box. Yeah. Okay. Step five, bury the silver box in a graveyard in a grave facing west. <laughs> I'm not sure how a grave can point only one direction. That's extremely okay. specific. Yep. Then you have to dismember the creature's limbs and head. Okay. Cut off its arms and legs and head. So not only do you have to bury him in a cemetery, you have to go back and you then have to bury the heart to in dismember. the box in the cemetery. Right. And then, yeah. and then you got to go back to the guy and start to dismember yes. him. Okay. Yep. And then you have to burn each piece of the body on a different fire. <laughs> okay. And then you have to scatter the ashes equally to the north, south, east, and west of your camp. All right. Yeah. And then it dies. If you fuck up in the middle somewhere, it just like apparently like T1000s it just like so, all back up into a ready to fight Wendigo. What if you can shackle this boy in like silver shackles and then starve him to death? That seems like the easier route. That does seem easier. Because a lot of <laughs> a lot of these say if it doesn't eat, it will starve to death. Right. I don't know. It's because I'm pretty sure, like, if you run into like more than one Wendigo, 
more than one. Yeah. And you're probably better I mean, off just yeah. to get eaten. <laughs> like, that's such a pain there's, in the ass. Right, there's not going to be any way out of it. Like, what a hassle. So, we basically have Wendigo Survival Guide, like, 101 over here. And then... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Yeah. Okay, so we can talk modern. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, so, um, and this isn't even quite modern, but, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it, well, all right, let's, let's just get into it. Um, cause I, I do have quite a few different reports here that also kind of back up this, but, uh, Wendigo psychosis is a right. more modern medical term, um, semi-modern, right, within the last, like, couple hundred years. Uh, it's a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. So, you desire human flesh, but you're really worried that something's going to happen. You don't want to become a cannibal, but you can't help it. Uh, this psychosis occurs in people living around the Great Lakes of the U.S. and Canada, most frequently. Wendigo psychosis generally develops in the winter in individuals who are isolated by heavy snow for long periods. Additionally, initial symptoms can include poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. So if you ever feel bad, boys and girls, and it's cold outside, you're about to become a Wendigo. You're fucked. Individuals will develop a delusion of being transformed into a Wendigo monster. Wow. They also often see those around them as edible. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Um, but they still fear becoming cannibals. That's if I started thinking about how edible the people around me were, I'd probably start to fear I was becoming a cannibal. Also, I think the two the two go hand in hand, really. Yeah, yeah. That's just such an odd sentence, right? It's just such a weird way to put it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so read it again. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> All right. So again, initial symptoms include poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. Individuals will develop a delusion of being transformed into a Wendigo monster. They also often see those around them as edible. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even finish it. No, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> but fear becoming cannibals. Of course they're edible. <laughs> I mean, that's just so, that's such an odd distinction. It's so weird. And it's so like, yeah, I don't know. All right. Like if you're ever sitting around and it dawns on you that people are made of meat, then right. you might be becoming a Wendigo. <laughs> If you ever look at your best friend and say, mm, you look tasty, you might be becoming a Wendigo. <laughs> oh, God. That's okay. <laughs> so, if, if you ever go to a family reunion and none of the food looks good, but everybody around you does, you might be becoming a Wendigo. Oh, man. We're starting like a uh, like a 14 <laughs> fucking what's his name? Uh, Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. Foxworthy. Yeah. Yeah, he might be a Wendigo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, like, uh, 
What era was this like Wendigo psychosis thing? So what era was that? I mean, like this, what did that come about? So this started back uh roughly in the eighteen hundreds. Okay. Um are some of our first reports of Wendigo psychosis, which we'll we'll dive into a little bit more. Um but yeah, it's it started roughly around okay. there. Um, there's even report, a report back into 1661, which I'm, I'm about to kind of touch on before I get into the other more kind of modern Is that the reports. one with the Jesuit priest? Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- yeah, I love that story. Yeah, it's the yep. the Jesuit relations document. Yep. 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 Cool. So before we get into that really quick, um, it was also said that whenever someone showed traits of Wendigo psychosis, the most common practice was to take them to native healers to attempt to cure them. If they were unsuccessful or the person started threatening people, acting violently, or becoming antisocial, they were often executed. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was no joke, yeah. man. Like, yeah, it was it was legit. It's so dark to consider how many people throughout history were executed because they had clinical depression. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean... You, so so why you don't want to like hang around or be around people like yeah. you know maybe you don't you don't care for those people but they saw that as you're becoming a wendigo yeah. and it's not just the wendigo like all sorts of ailments were like i mean how many people were starved to death in the middle ages attempting exorcism because they you know because they had depression or schizophrenia or antisocial right. oh, yeah. disorder you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy the numbers is it's probably it, baffling. It really, really is. Yeah, it's 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 really crazy to think about. Like you know, and that's and this is something that occurred. I mean, not even too terribly long yeah. ago. Yeah. Like, as slightly longer ago than when like flight was right created. Right, like in the nineteenth century. 1800s. Yeah. They were still I mean, this, executing people that's because saying, they like, might be Wendigos. This isn't that long yeah. ago. Exactly. You stop liking your friends, you might be a Wendigo. So crazy. Ugh. It just leaves a bad All taste right. in your mouth, you know? It, it, yeah. I know. I know. It's it's one of those things. It's, it's really hard to grasp how just messed up things used to be. Like, no, no wonder, like... You know, they would they would use things as excuses. Yeah. You know, oh, you might be a Wendigo. You know, see you later. Yep. Um, and that that was all it needed. Literally, all all you needed to say, like little stupid things like that, to to make it okay. Yeah. Now, so in 1661, there was a Jesuit relations document that stated, and quote. What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely, that the men deputed by our conductor to summon the nations to the North Sea, and assigning them a rendezvous where they were where they were to await our coming, had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, 
but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite. Ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily, the more they eat. The sailmen attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. My god. So that that furthers on just how how messed up yeah. that was. And this was written by a Jesuit priest who was visiting Nova Scotia, right? Like trying to spread Yeah. Right. He was spreading Christianity. Yeah. The, and yeah. They they run into, you know, what appears to be this Yeah. And, it's 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 weird. I know. Yeah, it's very weird. But of course, I mean, it does dive into this this whole like aspect of cannibalism and everything as well. Like, yeah, that's not okay. Yeah, you know, like your friend starts eating people, they might be a Wendigo. So, sure. like, you know, it's it's kind of that that whole like that whole thing too. So, like, that is understandable to an extent. Um, you know, but just just this this. I guess aspect of people like just because they're angry or they show maybe some violent tendencies and things like that. I mean, doesn't, you know, doesn't mean like off with their heads. Yeah, of course. I mean, but you have to be careful not to, not to engage in, in too much presentism, right? Like we can't judge the people from then on, yeah. our standards now because life was very different then it was it was much harder like you hear that and it's hard to contextualize how much more difficult it was to stay alive then oh, compared yeah, to now right mm-hmm. like like it's important to understand because it sounds absurd now that cultures would need like such a prevalent figure in order to keep people from eating each other Right? But, like, cannibalism was fucking everywhere during that time. Like... Well, yeah. I mean, they're, like, food supplies were very scarce. Yeah. Especially during winter months and things like that. I mean, you know, it was something that people had to resort to in extreme cases. Like, extreme situations. I mean, most people who study history won't tell you this, but, like, all studies of pre-industrialized society... All of them point toward the fact that it takes much less hunger than you might imagine for people to start eating each other. Like, much less. I mean, like, yeah. I'm talking like one bad winter. Just well, I'm, one. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like, yeah, most people... As messed up as it is. Yeah. Most people were like a single failed crop or like one unexpectedly harsh winter away from eating the person they liked the least. That's, I mean, that's a fact. Jeez. Like, it's it's yeah. crazy. There are so many stories from throughout history of people just like, well, shit got hard, so I ate the youngest. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Tom was there. I was yeah. there. Well, you know, 
I'm no longer hungry. Like, honestly, after, like, you know, studying history as much as I have, I think if we had, like, a, a really accurate account of the events surrounding the death of every person who's ever died in the history of the world, I wouldn't be shocked if a quarter of them were eaten. Were, yeah. Like, 25%. I mean, there's so many huge cases throughout history that involve cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as it's just disgusting as it seems and yeah, I yeah. I I, I don't even want to think about it, but I mean, yeah, there the a lot of cases in, involve this. I I wouldn't be surprised by that number to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I I'm just saying all this because like I think a lot of people hear this story and they're like, "Oh, no way, it was a creature because there's no way it was that big of an issue." It was. Right. It was that big of an issue. It was like, well, that's what we're doing. We're we're bringing light to to this topic. Yeah. You know, this is this is a very taboo topic for sure. for sure. So yeah, like the window the Wendigo was a pretty damn good way of discouraging people from eating each other, right? Like, yeah, I agree. And another problem I have is people like to say that like it was a way of teaching the immorality of cannibalism, right? Yeah. But I imagine it probably had less to do with what we consider immoral and more to do with the fact that cannibalism causes, like, devastating neurological diseases. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's mm-hmm. uh, the Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease and the Kuru. Does it, they're, like, um, prion diseases, like mad cow and, like, um, yeah. what's the one? The, the one that happens in deer. Chronic wasting disease. It's mm. like that. But okay. it, like... It wrecks you. Like, your brain eventually just... It turns into Swiss cheese over the course of a year. Yeah. And it's, it's like, a super brutal way to die. So, I kind of think of this as, like, the same reason... Like, the same reason they wrote a ban on pork in the Old Testament. You know? Like, because if you didn't cook it... If you didn't cook it enough, you were fucked. And it's super easy to fuck up. You know, oh, yeah, so they're just sure. like, just don't mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, it's it it really kind of it it really does. Like I said, I know we're bringing this to light, but it really does kind of like paints this horrifying picture that's associated with it. Yeah, and for this to be kind of like a way to deter people from this, I mean, you know, I makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And that's where, like I said at the beginning, you know, we would kind of get into this, you know, what does, what is it actually? To me, I believe, you know, this was a way to push people against, like, against these things. You know, try to, like, explain, like, this is not right, you know, like, don't do this. Like, this is the potential that can happen to you. I mean, cultures throughout history are filled with boogeymen. You know what I mean? And they serve a purpose. They serve a cultural purpose, Mm -hmm. right? If you live near uh, a river that floods, then you make up a monster that lives in that river to keep your small children from playing near the river that floods. Right? Right. Like, that's... I mean, it's, it's as simple as, you know, like, old stories explaining why the sky is blue and why the grass is green. It's that same basic concept. It's a means of being able to explain things, but also warding against things, right? 
Yeah, it's a way to protect your people, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's what so many of these legends are, right? And tales of the Wendigo tell us so much about about the First Nations people who lived in these areas. Like, it's it's a an excellent lens to like view their culture through because it shows how it really exemplifies how difficult things were for them. I mean, I mentioned just kind of as a throwaway earlier, the idea of like priority killings, right. But like Mm -hmm. people didn't, people didn't just feel less than it wasn't any easier for them to do that then than it would be for any one of us to do it now. Right. Like it was life was just harder. It just sucked more. They had to do things like yeah, that I on mean, a regular basis. There was no choice. It was a means of life or death. Yes. Like, what do you choose? Right? Yeah. And like, I don't think people really wrap their minds around that idea. Like they think of like, oh, those people were just harder. Right. But like, no one wanted to kill their friend. Nobody did. No matter whether you're yeah. talking about, you know, 2022 or you're talking about 1622, no one wants to kill their friend. But people in 1622 sometimes had to kill their friends so that their children could live th- through the winter. It was, yeah, exactly. it was just part of life. So I, I like these stories because they get us like thinking about what life was like in that time, mm-hmm. you know? It allows you to kind of see it from that aspect yes. or that that angle, which is something we in modern day, you know, can't really fathom yeah. in most cases. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I think it's important to bring stories like this, you know, to light because it does allow us to, you know, learn from that and see ex- exactly how hard it was for them and, you know, the things that they had to struggle with and go through yeah. to really appreciate, like... How literally easy we have it now. Yes. I mean, it's it's insane. Yep. I mean, you know, it's cliche, but like we go and spend like $2 and have a loaf of bread. Whereas, you know, 300 years ago or even 200 years ago, that was like four hours of labor to get a loaf of bread. You yeah. know, like think about how much you make an hour at your job. Listeners, wherever you work, think about how much you make an hour. Now, multiply that by four. That's how much a loaf of bread cost in 1750. That's how much labor it required. Like, rather than $2 a loaf now. I guarantee mm-hmm. none of you make 50 cents an hour. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. It's, I don't know. And so, it's... Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it's important that you know we we open this up and kind of kind of shed light on like specifically like yeah this is this is some messed up stuff that went on, but at the same time, it was an entirely different time. Yeah, and you know means of survival were few and far between, and you know it was it was do do what you can to stay alive. Absolutely, and then you know those that struggled or were seen as more of a like a hindrance to that yeah. possibility or whatever else were the ones that were the first to go yeah absolutely 
And that kind of brings me into my next uh, next kind of quick story that I want to touch yeah. on. Um, this is the story of Swift Runner, if you're familiar with yes. it. So there was, uh, in 1878, a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swift Runner suffered one of the worst cases of Wendigo psychosis. Swift Runner was a trader with the Hudson's Bay Company, who was married and the father of six children. In 1875, he served as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. During the winter of 1878 and 1879, or 1878 through 79, Swift Runner and his family were starving, along with numerous other Cree families. This is where we kind of get into this past discussion. His eldest son was the first to die of starvation. And at some point, Swift Runner succumbed to Wendigo psychosis. Though emergency food supplies were available at Hudson's Bay Company Post, uh, which is roughly 25 miles away, he didn't attempt to travel there. Instead, he killed the remaining members of his family and consumed them. He eventually confessed and was executed by authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. So, instead of this guy making this 25-minute trip, which, I mean, you know, or 25-mile trip, which, I mean, yeah, that's pretty good distance especially back then um yeah but i think it's safe to say that any any person in control of their mental faculties would choose a 25 mile journey over eating their six children exactly right yeah i'm glad that you didn't go into detail because the details of that story are insanely brutal like it's it's a horrible horrible story yeah there's only one light note that I love in that story, <laughs> which I don't, I mean, I love ironically, right? It's pretty dark in itself, but like there's a part of the statement he made to the police who finally arrested him mm-hmm. was that um, his mother-in-law was kind of tough, <laughs> <laughs> which seems like such an inappropriate <laughs> like mother-in-law joke to make in that moment. <laughs> Right, like I ate yeah. my wife and That's my six fair. children. They were all pretty tasty, but my mother-in-law was a bit tough. Like, she wasn't done fucking with me even after she died. <laughs> uh. That's terrible, but that, <laughs> yeah. that's... It really is. Slightly slightly humorous, but yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, it, I, it is, it, it's, a, it's a rough story yeah. to, to kind of, you know, to take in. Um, you know, this guy... His son, you know, son passes away due to starvation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my immediate thought was, why, why didn't they just, you know, and I'm not condoning cannibalism, obviously, sure. but why, you know, during that time, why didn't they just eat the son? You know, versus him just saying, okay, well, apparently nobody gets to live. I'm just going to eat them. There's all. a solid chance that that's how it started. That like, there, I mean, yeah. That- yeah, it it doesn't yeah. you know it doesn't say state specifically that that's what yeah. happened, but I mean that was just my my kind of question. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened first, and then he realized like, you know, how was it put in that <laughs> in that um, list of symptoms? He started seeing um, he started noticing how <laughs> edible the rest of his family was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like. 
You know what I mean? Like, he got, like, he ate the one that died, or they ate the one that died. Yeah. And then he just kept going. Right? Like, yeah. Maybe he was like, well, this really isn't that once bad. Once they got hungry again, they just went for the next one, and then the next one. Little Cindy, you're next. Right? There's a solid chance they just started at the bottom for the least, you know what I mean? With the least helpful, yeah. the least able to, you know, bear any burden. I mean, right, exactly. And who's to say that the wife didn't, you know, she wasn't a part of that until that point. I mean, they could have all been, Um, right? Like, Right. Yeah, yeah, we we just don't know. Six of them eat the seventh. Five of them eat the sixth. That's what it... Yeah. Right, that's what it comes to, though, is you look at this guy that ate six, you know, six of his family members, like... And that's, that's where the real, like, just terrifying part of the story yeah. lies like just in that that whole concept no i'm like but yeah again it's, who's to say that it wasn't just a little bit of everybody yeah. i mean forgive me because i'm trying desperately to keep this story light by making jokes but like it really is it's a, a desperate tragedy is what it is right i agree i agree um, I have one other one that I thought was I thought was pretty notable, and this is another Wendigo psychosis one because these these are more you know like I feel like they're more with within that kind of realm of this is what these people kind of started to develop and and I think it's obviously they weren't they weren't a Wendigo there was something else at right. play um, some mental illness exactly yeah. so the story of Jack Fiddler. He was an OG, uh, an OG Cree chief and a medicine man known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. Fiddler claimed to have defeated 14 Wendigos during his lifetime. Some of these creatures were, set, were said to have been sent by enemy shamans, and others were members of his band who had been taken with the insatiable and curable desire to eat human flesh. In the latter case, family members usually asked Fiddler to kill a very sick loved one before they turned Wendigo. Fiddler's brother Peter Flett was killed after turning Wendigo when the food ran out at the trading the trading expedition. Hudson's Bay Company traders, the Cree, and missionaries knew the Wendigo legend, though they often explained it as mental illness or superstition. Regardless, several incidents of people turning Wendigo and eating human flesh are documented in the company's records. In 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for murder. Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving the news of the pardon. Which, I mean, sucks for him. (laughs) Um, But I feel, to me, in this case, I feel a lot of these deaths, uh, these murders essentially were unwarranted. It was people's... Mental illness. You know... Exactly. Yeah. Mental illness and people that were just, you know, getting older and ill, uh, using that as a means of, you know, before they become this thing, like, let's do away with yeah. it. And this is kind of what we talked about a little bit, like, you know, like you were saying, or, you know, the order of, like, the kill order, basically, yeah. right? And that's that's kind of how this how this played out. Like it was always kind of like that specific that specific thing. Yeah. And these were two guys that were essentially 
in charge of in charge of being these these people that would go out and you know kill these people. So here's my take on this story because this is like a classic a classic case of you know culture versus culture. Um, right. If you believe in the Wendigo as like a material thing, then these guys were like comic book characters. They were like superheroes right. out there battling Wendigos, right? I was say, they're like the boondock saints right. of... Right. But if you don't, then they were serial killers. Yeah. that's And that's what they were. I mean, in my opinion, they were serial yeah. killers. They, they killed... Right. I mean, maybe they're... I don't, I don't know. I, f- I feel like they're serial killers. I think that even if your your culture accepts some like society at some point has to draw a line, right? Like yeah. that your like individual cultural identity can't supersede the safety of a community, right? And I feel like that's what this is a case of. It's like even if they yeah. believed wholeheartedly that they were doing a good thing and ridding the world of some malevolent presence, they were killing people. They, yeah, agree. They really were just killing people. So like that has to be handled, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why eventually they were both arrested. Yeah. The one killed himself, and the other one was eventually pardoned, right, but died in prison. But died died three days after or three yeah three days before he was alerted you know scheduled for release the park. Yeah, yeah. right so which i mean you know sucks to be him like that that does suck you know that definitely does suck and but yeah it is it is definitely culture based yeah. you know the way the way that you'd look at it and obviously us with this story we're we're talking about these cultures about you know this this whole like these whole beliefs and everything yeah. So, you know, take it, I guess, look at it from, I guess, that side of it. Yeah, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, what they were told to be right. doing. You know, what was requested of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. It's a weird case. It is weird. It is. It is. But in my opinion, you have to draw a line somewhere. You, I agree. I mean, accepting yeah, accepting unique cultural ideas and concepts is one thing but like when it comes to the safety of individuals and the safety of a community you have to draw a line at some point yeah of course of course um yeah it's that's a weird case for sure Mm -hmm. um yeah it was another another kind of one of those just weirdly notable ones that i felt like kind of had a pretty big impact because it was seen from the side of someone with you with this disease, with this Wendigo psychosis, right. versus someone from the outside looking in at those, yeah. you know, roughly, possibly on the verge of developing maybe something similar. Yeah. And I know there's some, um, there's some supposed quote of one of the brothers that was like, if I'd known what I was doing was wrong, I wouldn't have been doing it, or something like that. That just kind of, you know, exemplifies... Maybe right. they really were just wrapped up in the culture and like, yeah, and how like under and uh, uh, how uninformed they right. were, yeah, right, yeah. But that's the time, yeah. You know, that's 
that's that time period, unfortunately. For sure. Okay, you want to get into so, some modern stuff? Yeah, that's that's what yeah. I was actually just about to say. I think I think you know just you know briefly touch on it. Obviously, when to go when to go today are few and far between. Most of our cases were were earlier, you know, earlier eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and before. Um, but you know, of course, there are still sightings into today. Yeah. Um, you know, just as we've, we kind of talked about, you know, kind of at the beginning of the episode. Um, but kind of to give you an idea here, one of the first appearances of a character inspired by a Wendigo or named after a Wendigo, uh, in literature was Algernon Back, uh, Blackwood's 1910 short story, The Wendigo. Yeah. Um, his work basically influenced many of the subsequent por- uh, portrayals in mainstream horror fiction such as uh, August uh, Derleth's The Thing That Walked in the Wind, um, and Ithaca, uh, which in turn inspired uh, the character in Stephen King's novel Pet Cemetery, yeah. um, where basically it was just the personification of evil, an ugly, grinning creature with yellow-gray eyes, ears replaced by ram's horns, yeah. is where we get in the, kind of this modern depiction yeah, yeah. of a Wendigo. Uh, white vapor coming from its nostrils and a pointed decaying yellow tongue. Nice. Was that original? Was um, that Blackwood story the original one? Was that the one with the like burning feet? Where like they would burn the that version of a Wendigo would like burn off your feet and then your feet were replaced with like Wendigo feet. It's very odd. I don't know. I remember. I remember briefly like kind of kind of skimming like the description of it because I I obviously yeah. I haven't ever read that. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember that being a specific part of it, but it may be. I, th- I feel like that's also one where, like, the Wendigos in that story eat moss. They don't actually eat people. They just attack people. I don't know. I've read, like, uh, years ago, I read, like, um, I remember reading, like, a summary of it. I never actually read the book. Okay. But, yeah, it's very odd. We'll, ha- we'll have to retouch on that yeah. then. Just to kind of double check. For sure. Okay, cool. Um, and of course, uh, you know, with, with the Wendigo, it's appeared in modern television shows. Um, it's been, I mean, it's been a, kind of a big staple in a lot of things. It was featured heavily in, uh, an episode of Supernatural. Oh, yeah. It was even featured in My Little Pony. Really? As a, uh, yeah, as a character in a My Little Pony episode. That's creepy. <laughs> Weird. I know. Nothing like cartoons um, that it's introduce it's... demonic creatures to children. <laughs> right. Exactly, yeah. Um, obviously, it's since since went on to be villains in video games. There's a lot of video games that specifically, uh, like Until Dawn, is uh, that's a great kind of more one. Of like a cinematic video game. Yeah, yeah but based around uh, around the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a lot of video games and a lot of movies, um, and even into comic yes. books, as we've kind of briefly touched on previously as well. Yeah, the Wendigo and Marvel's Wendigo is awesome. It's a it looks more like a Sasquatch than your classic that was Wendigo. The but first, first introduced in uh, was it Hulk? Yeah, it was a uh, yeah. The Wendigo was like a foil for Hulk, and actually, um, one of their battles I didn't have was the down here. I didn't remember one of their battles was the first appearance of Wolverine, which was the Incredible Hulk number one eighty one. Right. Yeah, it was Hulk and Wendigo and Wolverine all fighting each other in the Canadian wilderness. Um, but yeah, yeah, Marvel's Wendigo was cool. 
It's just, uh, yeah, just such a, such an odd, uh, such an odd thing to introduce. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's played such a big role in so many yeah. modern, so many modern things. And now, of course, in modern media, it's depicted as this tall thing with like antlers. Yeah. Basically looks like, uh, like a white walker from Game of Thrones yeah. with antlers. I feel like they right? added the elk antlers in the age of the internet. Right. Well, it was uh in in Stephen King in Pet Cemetery. He he depicted it with the animals. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. And then after that, it it took off, yeah. right. Also, yeah. fun fact. Um it's also the main antagonist in my favorite Stephen King book outside of the Dark Tower series, the book The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. The main the main antagonist in that is a uh, a Wendigo yeah. following like a lost little girl I'm, through the forest. Okay. I've never read that. Yeah, it's really good. It's a quick read. It's a, it's a little different than most of his, most of his work, right. but it's, that's my favorite one. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, you know, like the, just the modern day depiction, I think is just more, more silly, but it's what you see most frequently. If you go out and Google Wendigo, that's what you're going to come upon. Yeah. You know, it's like pictures of it. Everything are all going to be described and depicted like that. Well, I mean, just because that's more what's modern. right? Well, here's the thing. Like culture has gotten, it continues to get increasingly more visual, right? Like, of course, everything yeah. is based on aesthetics now. And like, let's be honest, the, the Wendigo with antlers looks badass. I mean, it yeah, looks of super cool. And it looks more terrifying right. than this, like lanky, like Slender Man looking thing. Yeah, like a white Slender Man. Right. Yeah. We can't talk about so Slender Man in an episode. I'm worried about creating a tulpa in. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we've already said it too many times. Damn it's, it! It's, it's out there. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. I I do. I mean, I do like the way that it looks i think it looks more it looks more cool like it looks more like what you would imagine this like monstrous thing looking sure. like um but it's just far it's far beyond what yeah. what it originally was for sure just as everything everything it develops over time yeah. like culture to culture and as it's passed down like it it inherits these the these different yeah, like new features traits or these different types of things right exactly so it's expected yeah that it's going to develop and it's going to further, you know, further turn into something else. Yeah. And as, um, um, as like indigenous cultures were spread out over, over the continent, um, some intentionally, some forced relocations, the, it gets diluted, right? The stories get spread and they get spread farther yeah. and farther. And the farther they get, the thinner they get and they get mixed in with other local cultures and, over time, it becomes something else. It happens with all legends, right? It's just like that. What was that? The telephone game yeah. where you start with something and by the end of it, it's like something entirely different. Yeah. Uh, like 40 people in a row mishear one word and by the end, it's a completely different phrase. Yeah. yeah. See, at least we still have some of the original Wendigo in there visually. Right. right? Yeah. True. It's been like mm -hmm. 300, 400 years. At least we have some of it. Yeah, I had, I had read, uh, and I, I didn't have it down here, um, but I had read at some point, like, 
there was uh, this translation that was done, and it was supposed to be foul, and it was poorly translated to ghoul. Okay. So, like, it almost started to give it, like, that kind of, like, ghoul-like appearance uh, yeah. and things like that. Yep. Um. So, just like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, just very, very kind of similar to that, like way you know obviously like as these things are translated and these stories are like retold and everything it's going to develop yeah you know it's gonna it's it's definitely gonna change. absolutely so and now like reddit is filled with you know wendigo account stories of people out an entire subreddit yeah. <laughs> devoted to wendigo just, which is awesome if it's just story after story of people out camping and they like looked across the pond and they saw a tall thin thing yeah with, and half of them say it has the antlers and Mm-hmm. It was Wendigo. I mean, who, clearly. who knows how many Wendigo Tulpas people are out there creating? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some of them would have antlers. I'm sure some some would probably do. But I think my biggest takeaway is just the like I said that whole idea that this that this is like more so a, more so like a, an explanation. Yes. Like more of like a way to ward off these things and help like help people stay on like the right side of the path sort right. of sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's right? a cultural artifact. That's, For sure. Yeah, that's that's how I see it too. It's awesome. I mean, it still scares the shit out of me, and that's what it was designed to I mean, do. Yeah, it's still a terrifying story. Exactly. Yeah, it's been scaring but people also, for four hundred years. It's also a really rad story. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah, it's really neat. Absolutely. All right. I think that wraps up uh, episode 42, Wendigo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling it's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes we're just keeping up on our day-to-day and maybe some swag along the way it is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible again that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials, at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a blanket. Buy a pillow. Anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram. The brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T 
All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.